in a traffic jam Staring at the faces in a rearview mirror Looking at the promise of the promised land One kid dreams of fame and fortune Everybody, welcome to the Tobler Show on this Labor Day weekend. Glad you are with me. Good to be with you. And Leah's with us too, and we're thankful for that because when Leah's here, everything goes smooth and all the buttons get pushed right. She's got special music for you this morning. We'll be playing it later on because Jimmy Buffett's dead at age 76. Jimmy Buffett dead. We'll, uh, Talk a little bit about him uh, later on in the program. Got lots to talk about today. My goodness, the limit, the the list of topics is endless. Jobs report. I think the jobs report says that what was that big iceberg of a recession beneath the surface is now tipping up above the surface. We'll uh, unpack that in a little bit. This week was the second anniversary of the worst military embarrassment in our history. What a sad, sad day that was where 13 soldiers died in that suicide bombing because of the poorly planned and poorly executed uh, move uh, in Afghanistan, the withdrawal. I have some thoughts about Mitch McConnell in that, uh, boy, oh, so hard to watch episode. Another of the recent episodes where he just stares and doesn't and it's just out of it, disconnected a moment of detachment. Uh, I think it should probably inform us about the way noble leaders should act. The 12-year-old boy, you may have heard about that, who got in trouble for wearing a Gadsden flag. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A a patch, that is, on his backpack. It got resolved, but uh, another messy power play by the woke educational establishment. Watch out as school starts. Watch out this year. Have your kids on the lookout and notifying you when woke creeps into their life because people in authority can influence them for the rest of their lives. So take note, take note. And um, several guests today. Speaking of woke, we'll be talking with, uh, uh, hearing the story about a, a, a famed coach, a lacrosse coach at, a, at Oberlin College, a liberal university that uh, is catching a lot of heat for uh, making statements about protecting women's sports. I know Leo's ears will perk up on that one. Uh, Bob Onder will join us, and he's across the pond. He's on a European adventure. We'll see how Chevy Chase is he is on his European adventure. and Talk to him about how, uh, how things are over in Europe and what they think of Joe Biden and Donald Trump and the circus that has become American politics and American life. 
State Senator and Senate Majority Leader Cindy O'Loughlin will be with us in the 8 o'clock hour. Virginia Cruda, of course, will be with us in the 7 o'clock hour. We always, that's just locked and loaded every time in the 7 o'clock hour. And Madison Gisotto Gilbert, or is it Gilbert? I don't know. We'll find out. The RNC national spokesperson to... uh, to talk about uh, what is going on in the RNC. How are they navigating? What is some division? It's it's the MAGAs versus the, I'm receptive to someone other than MAGA <laughs> people and see how that all goes down, as well as the thoughts on how the RNC is going to plan to handle what I think will be a collapsing economy as we uh, run through this election season. I believe there's a silent recession. Uh, I don't know. I feel it when I go to the supermarket. Um, Perhaps you feel it, too. Uh, went over the other day to pick up some stuff. Last It was last Sunday. Went over. I was. Uh, we were at the lair. And um, my wife, oh, she made some unbelievable. Oh, oh, oh. She made some unbelievable tzatziki sauce. You know what? Leah, do you know what tzatziki sauce is? I don't. It sounds good. Oh, you like your, do you like euros? Those uh, Greek sandwiches? Hey. No? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I love euros, and I love to pile on that that beautiful. I think it's normally made with uh, I don't know sour cream, or I don't know what it's normally, but it's a white base and all kinds mm-hmm. of herbs, dill and and the uh, uh, cucumber. It's just a beautiful topping for for that meat. It, it, the, the the tart tanginess of it sort of helps uh, contrast with what is a fairly greasy meat, the Euro meat, but oh, those things that they shave, what is it? Lamb and oh, those beautiful roasts yeah. that are rotating on the rotisserie. Oh my goodness. Give me Euro salad. Give me Euro sandwich. Give me Euro all. I love the Euro. So she was going to make uh, tzatziki for some deer burgers. That's another great thing to put them on. And put some deer burger on some uh, Keto pita. You ever had keto pita? No. As an athlete. Oh, yeah. Keto pita. Sort of low carb pita bread. Unbelievable. Okay. So I went to the market. I bought a sprig of dill. Okay. A little cluster of dill, a cluster of uh, parsley, a couple of cucumbers. What else? Oh, I think she used Greek yogurt. I think maybe in something else, but but that was the base because that's better than, than sour cream. You know, I mean, it's better for you and it tastes just as good. And, um, I don't know. Maybe I can have her come up and tell me exactly what went in there, but it was fantastic. And uh, okay, I had to have my, we'd had some blue bunny ice cream that was in the freezer for too long, a little half a carton. It's sort of gotten crystallized and freezer burnt. So I want some fresh blue bunny because I don't, I don't eat it too often, but when I do, I want the blue bunny. It's pure, no high fructose corn syrup, no artificial, pure vanilla bean, skim milk, eggs, sugar, the way, just, I don't know if it's skim milk, but milk, it's great. If you're going to eat ice cream, ice cream that melts fast, you know, if the ice cream melts fast, I like custard that melts fast, like Ted Drew's or there's others in town. If it melts fast, you know, it's probably really good stuff with, with natural ingredients. Anyway, that, what else? I, oh, she needed some shredded Parmesan. I had, I had like six or eight items, $35. Unbelievable. And, and that just speaks to what I think is the silent recession that's going on because of inflation. Um, you know, the inflation is crazy. People are scaling back. They're not going on vacations like they were. If they are, uh, you know, they're going to places, which is great for Branson. They're going to places like Branson, maybe doing a, what's it called when you stay at home, a staycation? 
I heard mm-hmm. several. You do staycations? Yeah. No. <laughs> because it's here. And now people are beginning to lose their jobs. The unemployment rate started to tick up. Uh, only 187,000 jobs uh, last month. And I think the jobs numbers for previous months were uh, were revised downward. And um, I just think it's here and it's uh, tragic. So we're going to talk with Bob Onder about what's going on, what they think of, about uh, us over the pond and talk with folks about what you think, what your life is telling you, despite what Joe Biden says. Now, for a little fun, before we... Uh, I'm going to play for you an interview I did with Andrea Mew about uh, this lacrosse coach who's just been just been tortured because of a retweeting something about Leah Thomas. That'll that'll be up in just a few minutes. The Tigers had their home opener against South yeah, South Dakota. I don't know why they always pick sort of a, a you know a pushover team for a home opener. To me, it seems sort of. Why don't you pick a real team? And if you lose, you lose. If you win, you win. What is this stacking the odds so you? You crush the other team. It was a 35 to 10 blowout. But that's okay. They did that. They played Brady Cook for the first half. They played Sam Horn, who is a you know going to be a really up, up upstart quarterback recruit. I guess he came out of uh, well, I, I guess he came out of high school, and um, and Brady Cook did really well. 17 out of 21 passes, uh, ran for a touchdown, threw for a touchdown, and then Eli Drinkwitz started extolling the virtues of uh, of Brady Cook. And do you have do you have the whole clip or what are you going to play that excerpt we talked about, Leah? Uh, yeah, you said one twenty. Okay, yeah. So he was talking about him. Everything I wanted to know about Brady Cook, he's already told me. He's a team player. He's he whether this team wins, uh, it, whether he plays or not, he's all about M I Z Z O U Tigers go. This guy would lay down his life for the for the Tigers. And then this determination or him putting Mizzou first or putting the team first. That guy's a team first young man and, and uh, he's got a girlfriend. Otherwise, man, I'd be trying to get him hooked up with my, once my daughter's turn 18 because he's unbelievable. <laughs> okay. Well, no, doesn't. All right. like I love that was, what, do you, what do you think, Leah? A little cringeworthy there. He'd like to get him hooked up with his daughters once they turn. I think we know what he was trying to say. <laughs> I mean, at least he approves of the guy, so... Yeah, yeah, but I thought it was cute, and, it, and he's getting a lot of pushback on that. I, it was a harmless comment. The guy was trying to say, "Hey, <clears throat> hey, this is an all-American young man, and I'd be proud if my daughters brought him in and he was taking them out for a date." Okay, so, but I thought it's catching all kinds of funny comments on the <laughs> on social media, um, but. Uh, it's good to see a young man step up and be, um, you know, really uh, celebrated by his coach because of all of those team first ways that he plays the game. That's good to see. Oh, that our politicians were team first. Wouldn't that be nice instead of me first? Uh, I tell you, uh, I was I was thankful this week the way Ron DeSantis handled uh, this uh, this hurricane and previously Hurricane India. Uh, no, India. Ian. Ian. What was this hurricane called? In, in, in it's like Adelia or something. Uh, yeah, I don't know. A, a strange <laughs> name for the hurricane. But uh, both times, I mean, the hurricane response is done, of course, in the months and years before the hurricane hits. It's about preparedness always. And then um, surging before the event so that you are over prepared. And, um, 
you know, they had 30,000 linemen lined up. They had, uh, you know, unbelievable amounts of fuel ready and vehicles and so forth. And uh, people, first responders going door to door. And I, you know, I don't think there was any loss of life. Uh, uh, you know, so it was great to see DeSantis come off the, the campaign trail. He did. He declined a visit with Biden because he didn't want to distract from his mission. Um the guy is an amazing leader. And I'm more and more of the opinion that the media is uh, wanting to paint him as a as a poor campaigner, as a guy who doesn't get along. Although I think he's clearly not a bright, shiny object like uh, like a Barack Obama or, or, a, or, a, or a Donald Trump, for that matter. Uh, it seems like the American voter wants a, wants a panache and and charisma. And he's not the most charismatic guy, but he's certainly a good leader, a great leader, at least in the terms of the way he led through pandemic in Florida and and uh, through the two hurricanes here that recently. So he's done a super job. And that's leadership. You know, when you when you sacrifice yourself for the greater cause and at the same time, inspire others to do that as well and follow as you uh, as you go up the hill with them. Um and we are lacking for leadership in this country. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and and one one uh, and, and clip one is where I want. No, I'm sorry. Um, clip six is what I want to go to here before the break. Joe Biden is not a leader. Joe Biden is a feckless coward. Joe Biden likes to um, point fingers, never take credit. Uh, except if it's something that maybe someone else has done and he likes to take credit for. Uh, listen to his uh, response on the jobs numbers yesterday. He did a little speech about jobs numbers, and they were very tepid yesterday. But take a listen to how cowardly, how absolutely, utterly disgusting and insulting uh, this was. Listen. And it wasn't that long ago that America was losing jobs. In fact, my predecessor was one of only two presidents in history who entered his presidency and left with fewer jobs than when he entered. Joe Biden, who presides over the the weakest um, recovery from a, a, a one of the deepest uh, recessions, mini recession as a result of the pandemic, and who got in the way of the the most rapid recovery that was underway by tanking it with an inflationary policy of more and more spending at the same time as he crushed domestic energy production. Yes, Joe, when a tornado takes a business down, jobs go away. And when the owner rebuilds the, the big distribution facility, let's say for theoretical purposes, and then he starts rehiring it's not new jobs created. It's replacement jobs. He went on to talk about new jobs and he's created to millions. And these are replacement jobs, Joe. And Donald Trump was not responsible for Anthony Fauci's mismanagement of the research going on in the Wuhan lab in China. How dare you try to comment on how he left office with fewer jobs? Had the Trump economy not been tanked by the pandemic, he would have been a, a, a president that would have presided over an economy which policies led to the creation by private business, Joe, not you and not Donald Trump. Presidents don't create jobs. They endorse policies that encourage private business people to create jobs. 
I can't take much more of this guy, Leah. We got to go to a break. I, I just I can't take much more. Think even thinking or talking about this guy. How embarrassingly, fecklessly coward can you be, Joe Biden? All right, we'll come back. Talk to Andrea Mute, Independent Women's Forum. You'll enjoy that interview. Talk to her yesterday. Enjoy that. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about this 12-year-old who got in trouble for putting a Gadsden flag on his backpack. <gasps> Pray tell. Say it ain't so. You know, we continue to follow the story and the struggle for women's sports to remain women's sports without, um, you know, the confusion, the difficulties involved when you get um, just a, an unfair competitive um, playing field. And... Um, Independent Women's Forum has recently released a documentary and a series of their storytelling um, documentaries, which are fascinating and alarming. And in this case, it's uh, it's the one of the Oberlin College head uh, women's lacrosse coach. And um, to help us with that is Andrea Mew, uh, who is the storytelling coordinator at IWF, IWF.org. How you doing, Andrea? Thank you for being with me. So, I'm doing so well. Thank you for having me on. This is a, a troubling story, and when you look at some of the quotes that have emerged and are featured in uh, the story, there's there's a written piece on uh, on Independent Women's Forum that uh, folks can link to. Um, some of the quotes here are just really chilling in terms of the way this coach for speaking out about a Leah Thomas uh, the Leah Thomas uh, issue. Um, boy, the heat she took was uh, staggering. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so, you know, last year when Kim Russell saw that Leah Thomas had taken the title away from Emma Wayant, who's now an Olympian swimmer, taking that first place podium spot at the 2022 NCAA Swimming Championships, all Kim Russell did was share an Instagram post to her own personal Instagram account story. You know, that's not her writing the post herself, but it had said, um, congratulations to Emma Wayant, the real women, woman winner. Um, and she had added a couple little bits of information, but you know, she had that post screenshotted by one of her student athletes and the student athlete, someone whom she was really close to, decided to send that to Oberlin administrators and it sparked a string of disciplinary meetings where she doesn't feel like she was only chastised. She told me that she felt like she was going, she was burned at the stake, that she was stoned for her opinions, um, you know, a couple different meetings with just her athletic director and her assistant athletic director she recorded them and she started recording all of these meetings because she wanted to protect herself and um, she wanted to make sure that you know if anything got out of hand she had it on tape and truly some of the comments that they made to her were just um heartbreaking they told her you fall into a category of people that are filled with hate in the world um, and you know that her brand of feminism wasn't the right brand of feminism <laughs> well here's one it's acceptable to have your own opinions but when they go against your college beliefs it's a problem for your employment now i do want to talk about the employment issue because some contracts many contracts have clauses in them that if your statements, if your if your brand, if you say or do things that um, embarrass or otherwise tarnish the the reputation of your employer, that you know, that could be grounds for you know disciplinary action up 
to and including dismissal. Um, have they have they tried to invoke that if they can? And what about her her standing as the head lacrosse coach for the women there? So at this moment in time, she is still employed as the head lacrosse coach. Um, she is, you know, after this all took place, she was told that she could have these opinions, but that, as you mentioned, that they go against Oberlin's opinions. Um, it doesn't seem as though, it seems as though they were trying to build a case to fire her, and yet they didn't end up firing her throughout all of this. And that's what's really interesting to me. Well, maybe that maybe uh, is this timeline's relatively recent, right? I mean, this this isn't you know two years ago. When when was no, the last was last year? Okay, so maybe Oberlin and others. I mean, we're hearing that the DEI uh, employ unemployment uh, rate is is rising pretty rapidly. D, DEI administrators. Um, I think a lot of uh, places, uh, both in academia and in corporate America are becoming a little more circumspect and beginning to rethink things because of proper pushback uh, by organizations like Independent Women's Forum and other women's rights group and other men and conservative leaders. And I mean, people across the country said, wait a minute. Yeah, the, 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 the advances that women had made in carving out a space for them uh, being eroded. I mean, just it was it was it was going crazy. So, do you think well, that right. was why they haven't fired her? You know, it kind of feels like a little bit of a reverse Uno card, doesn't it? Where these <laughs> DEI coordinators think that they can hold people to some really unattainable standards to toe the line, you know, stay quiet and keep to be able to keep their employment, and yet. You know, if you turn around and start speaking your opinions, well, then they realize, oh, perhaps there wasn't anything that we could have done to make them change their mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where do, is it bothersome to Kim? Because I understand that Coach Russell is a very popular coach, or at least she thought so. She thought that, I mean, I as I understand it from contextually, it's not like people had any other axes to grind against her or her own student but it must bother the heck out of her and be so disappointing that her own students including in this case a really you know sort of a prize student turned her in that that says a little bit about well it says a lot about the indoctrination that these uh, these students are undergoing long before they're a student uh, an athlete under coach kim russell well, indeed, and, you know, what Kim had always been telling me is that she really wished that her students would just come to her and start, you know, start some healthy communication if they have disagreements because they, she treats her her teammates, like, or her team members as though they are her own children. And so she wants to foster healthy communication with them, and she is well-liked within her community. In fact, after publishing this story with us, She's actually received an outpouring of love and support from her community broadly. Yeah. Um, she told me that she hasn't received much negative feedback at all. Um, but the fact is that, you know, students are, students have these indoctrinated beliefs that are placed upon them, you know, systemically through education. And 
when something challenges it, instead of going to the person and having difficult conversations, maybe working through why they disagree with one another, they bring it up to the administrators and then it puts someone through, you know, these this was a burning at the stake, struggle sessions for one of them was almost two hours long. Hmm. What's your advice to people that face because of their outspoken expression via the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution uh, uh, opposition to this transgender involvement in sports? Um and when they're called haters, we're hearing that language consistently. It's become, in this realm, akin to the discussion of if you disagreed with Barack Obama's policies or you think Kamala Harris has a struggle putting words together, that you're a racist. Uh, and it, I, I think one of the challenges that people that are opposed to mingling transgender so-called transgender women, in other words, men who have tried to become women in women's sports, um, people that criticize that are suddenly pummeled with the hate language. And I don't think it's a hate thing at all. This is just a matter of fairness, justice. Um, and, and I keep thinking of fairness. Why, why, why is that being somehow transmuted into a discussion about hate? Right, because it's not even hate, especially in this case with Ken Russell. She's easily one of the least hateful people. I, mean, I don't think there's a, that I've ever met. I don't think there's even a bone of hate in her body. Um, when I met her, you know, she's just a bastion for love and positivity. She really does embody this hippie love coach nickname that her own <laughs> athletes have given her. Um, so to turn around and say that someone like her is transphobic um, or unsafe, no, she's really just basing her opinions on women's sports off of biological truth. And when you erase what biological truth is, when you can no longer say what a woman is, it just, it complicates conversations because you feel as though you're just always walking on eggshells and that <laughs> you're going to always offend somebody no matter what you do. And that's definitely the type of culture that gets fostered at Oberlin. It's exactly what we saw happen with the bakery case. You know, the bakery that got shuttered, Gibson, they, Oberlin College is paying over $36 million in a settlement to Gibson Bakery mm. after the, after a couple African-American students had, you know, gotten offended over the bakery. So it's, it's just fascinating that um, she's expected to apologize for backing biological truth. But no one should apologize for something that they're not sorry about. And again, this is based off of the fact that a woman's body is, is different from a man's body. And Kim knows this as being a lifelong athlete and a, lot, and a coach for many, many years. It's funny you called her, what'd you call her, the hippie? Is that her, her moniker, the hippie coach? Yeah, the hippie love coach is what her student athletes <laughs> have called her over the years. And well, she sort of it's looks that way, and, and I say this with all due respect and admiration for, for how she's standing up, but the picture on the website on IWF.org 
and the and the press releases there is this picture of this I don't know how old she is but she's not a spring chicken and she's got this long white hair I could just picture her like right out of Woodstock uh, but just a few decades removed uh, you know I mean she, she just looks like a real happy free spirit kind of a person you know She's entirely a free spirit type of person. I mean, she teaches yoga. She even <laughs> she's a boxing instructor for um, patients with dementia. Yeah, that's she great. is. She walks the walk and she talks the talk. Yeah. Well, hopefully there will be a, an increasing uh, hue and cry. Uh, among the students there, maybe not only in the athletic realm, but in other departments to come to her defense and say, hey, enough, Oberlin College administrators, stand down. Let this coach be a coach and let women compete with women. Boy, what a what a complex request that is, huh, Andrea? <laughs> right. And, you know, it's our hope that by sharing stories like Kim's, um, and it's Kim's hope as well, that more coaches, more educators, school faculty members who have these common sense beliefs will start speaking up about them instead of staying quiet because the integrity of women's sports is at stake, at stake. And it's not just women's sports, you know, it's all these different sort of controversial things, just like um, with the Gibson Bakery story too at Oberlin. Um, you're, all of these faculty members, you are not alone. There are people who believe what you believe. And these voices, when they can come forward, when we can tell their stories through IWS or, you know, anywhere else in the media, it's a growing movement to restore common sense in what I think is an otherwise chaotic world yeah it is it is uh, it's gone mad and um the compass is spinning wildly and it's uh, as far from true north as i i think i've ever seen it well andrea we thank you for bringing this to light and for all of the other um profiles there on the uh, independent women's forum series uh folks can uh, watch those on iwf.org and um hey stay in touch with us about kim i hope she uh you know, continues to fight the good fight and stand strong. So give our best to her. I know uh, our listeners are are thinking of her and uh, pulling for her as well. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me on to share the story. There are a series of those stories on Independent Women's Forum website, IWF.org, and I would uh, I'd commend them to your viewing. Perhaps if you have a young female athlete, whether in high school or heading to or in college, it might be instructive for for her to look at those, because I think that uh, certainly we're, this battle has just begun and uh, we need to win the war. It's outrageous to have men competing on the women's playing field, pool, lacrosse field, volleyball team, whatever. It's just uh, it's outrageous. Well, speaking of that, um, we'll take a break. When we come back, um, I don't know if I knew that my tax money was going to uh, pay for transgender surgery for baby murderers in prison, I'd be worked up. We'll talk about such a story and see if you get equally worked up. Oh, and that kid who was wearing, putting the Gadsden flag on his backpack, we'll talk about that too when we come back on the Randy Tobler Show. Coming up, top of the next hour, Bob Onder at 7.06. Don't miss that. Oh, 6.45, coming up at 7.05. Dr. Bob Onder and... Uh, at uh, 745, Virginia Cruta will be here and uh, anxious to talk to her about some of the happenings of the day. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some more 
transgender nonsense. Uh, this male, there's a male prisoner who. Um, uh, this is just hard for me to believe that this is uh, I, that this is going on. A male prisoner in Indiana has had the ACLU file a federal lawsuit in U.S. District Court um, because he's demanding to get transgender genital surgery while in prison. Now, what was he in prison for? Oh, arson. Looting, uh, what could it have been maybe uh, that he was uh, prison for? No, no, it was none of those. It was because he strangled his 11-month-old stepdaughter in Evansville, Indiana in 2001 and was convicted. The baby had been manually strangled to death while her mother was at work. He told detectives he shook the child in a rough manner as well. While he was incarcerated, this allegedly transgender person said, well, all I know is I killed the little effing rhymes with which, close quote. So this is the person that the American Civil Liberties Union is seeking to get taxpayer money for sexual reassignment surgery. He was diagnosed with gender dysphoria after he was incarcerated at the correctional facility, a men's prison in southern Indiana. He's been taking a female hormone and testosterone since 2020, according to the complaint, which I don't understand. But he suffers from serious depression and anxiety. Oh, and gender surgery is now a a medical necessity. Oh, my. Mm. Leah, uh, I understand there's a GoFundMe page. No, I don't know if there is, but perhaps we should start one to help fund this guy's uh, uh, gender reassignment surgery. What do you think? Are you ready to pony up some money for this? Uh, I think I'm going to pass. <laughs> Richardson, the complaint claims, is a woman trapped in a man's body. He's been able to obtain panties, makeup, and form-fitting clothing in prison, but his genitals still cause him distress. He's attempted suicide because of his gender dysphoria. She has soiled herself rather than use the toilet because of the stress of sealing her genitals, the complaint says. Well, right there, I would if I was a judge, I'd, I'd toss it out. This is a male who's playing a game who's absolutely deranged. Mm -hmm. He's mentally ill. He probably needs some Haldol and some standard psychiatric therapy. And if it's really just about getting his genitals, uh, you know, seeing his penis and scrotum and with testicles, maybe I'd be willing to pay for that surgery. Remove it if that's what's bothering him. But he wants to get a neo-vagina constructed. That usually takes not one, but many surgeries with and lots of follow-up care. The, the neo-vagina rarely works. Well, it doesn't work. It's a disaster. I know these cases. This is an atrocity, as the Attorney General of Indiana says. This is not necessary medical treatment. It's going to cost between ten and 150 Forget 10000 It's going to cost closer to tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars, probably over six figures, all the care considered. The AG says this should be common sense, which is something the ACLU continuously ignores. You know what? 
Leah, I, I got to tell you, if this if this trend continues, I am going to say that I have I have male pattern baldness dysphoria. Mm-hmm. I get depressed over it. I get anxious. If only I had hair, I could probably be on TV. But no, I am relegated to behind the microphone of a radio. You know, it's all about the hair, Leah. I want the taxpayers to provide on-demand hair replacement therapy. Take the follicles from where I have hair, put them on, and let's do it for thousands and thousands of men who would rather have hair than not. Do you see how ridiculous this gets? Oh, 100%. Of course. Are we going to start paying for breast augmentation surgery? Are we going to start paying for, oh, you know, women pay lots and lots of money to get the bags under their eyes treated. Oh, I could use a facelift. Take away those jowls. And look, I look 10 years younger. Where does it end? We all look in the mirror and we have a little bit of a, oh, man, I I wish that picture looked a little better. Where does it end? This is ridiculous. We have to say no. And we have to stop referring to women who act like they want to be men as women. Well, on another screwy note of what's going on in this country, Leah's got a little audio from a teacher. I was it a teacher or a principal or a who was it that was speaking with this parent of this child, a 12 year old who got in trouble for having in Colorado named Jaden, who uh had a backpack it was an army camouflage backpack and on the back of it there's about a maybe a three or four inch uh, diameter gadsden flag uh, uh patch and here's what happened take a listen Thank you. Do they know what the Gadsden flag is? It's a historical flag. So there, um, the reason that they do not want the flag, the reason we do not want the flag that way, is due to its origins with slavery and slave trade. That is what was, um, that's the reasoning behind them. The Gadsden flag. The don't tread on me, okay. which is the Gatsby book. Um, okay, so he he um, he's what's gonna happen if he doesn't take it all? He, I mean, he is able to go. I was actually just telling him, like, I was upset that he's missing so much school. I'm like, ah, so I asked if can he just take his stuff out of his bag and go back to class? Like, I just want him to go back to class. The bag can't go back. It's got patch on it because we can't have that in and around other kids. So that's what I was trying. And then he said you were close. So I was like, oh, okay. yeah, it has nothing to do with slavery. That's like the Revolutionary War patch that was okay. displayed when they were fighting the British. Like that wasn't, that's the revolution. Maybe you're thinking of like the, um, the Confederate pen, or Confederate Okay. I, so. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is concerning, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. This school staffer confused, conflated, alleged that the Gadsden flag had something to do with endorsing, validating, confirming commitment to slavery. It had nothing to do of the sorts with that. Nothing. This was a revolutionary flag pertaining to tyranny by the King of England on the colonists. 
and that a teacher or whoever this principal, whoever this was, a counselor, would say this, tells you, these are the people, this, this, ladies and gentlemen, is the strongest endorsement for school choice I have ever heard in my life, right there. That this person is so uneducated. Now look, let's let's give her the benefit of the doubt. The school district apparently, apparently has a policy, too. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt that they didn't know this. The lack of self-awareness of discernment, of judgment, that that somehow didn't instruct them to thoroughly research every bit of knowledge available about the Gadsden flag before they made this determination tells me more than I need to know. Well, the good news is the Libertas Institute in Utah fought this and they won. On Tuesday, Jaden was allowed to attend school with the Gadsden flag patch visible on his backpack. We, meaning we the people, won. This school year, sit your child down. Have them watch this young man. He's well-groomed. He's sort of smiling because he knows, like the Cheshire cat, he knows he's going to win this battle. Have your child watch this and say, look, be respectful. Don't fight back. Don't yell. But if you have, if you are told that you, and you know, monitor what they're wearing, what they're saying, if you want to wear that, we're going to send you to school. If you get pushback, make sure that it comports with school policy. But if they're, you know, if your child's right, if your family's right, stand up and be courageous. Now is the time. Jordan Peterson, famed psychologist is having to go to re-education. He has, he, this guy's got more brains in his little finger than, and more common sense and decency in his little finger than all of the citizens of, of Ontario put together. The, the, his psycho, psychology professional board has demanded that because he made a tweet that, you know, pride used to be, used to be a sin, talking about the Leah Thomas affair and the whole pride thing. He's been told that his unprofessional behavior needs to have re-education. So he's going to do it. But you know what he's going to do? He's going to record it. And he's going to publicize it. We must fight back with peace, with dignity, but with firm resolve. That wraps it up for the first hour of The Tobler Show. We'll be back with Bob Onder talking to us from Europe about what they think of America in a little bit. Thanks for being with me here on News Talk. 1019941 News Talk STL. We'll be back. Well, uh, it's uh, it's a sad day in Margaritaville for Parrot Heads. Jimmy Buffett passed away peacefully yesterday or overnight with his friends, family, and dogs, according to publicists. Um, and uh, by at his side, of course, famous for that and other. Kick back by the beach songs. We're going to ask our guest this segment, Dr. Bob Onder, former state senator, and of course the physician at Allergy and Asthma Consultants, uh, and a good friend of the show on our weekly hit here. If Dr. Bob Onder talking to us from across the pond is a parrot head, good morning, Bob. Are you a parrot head? 
Good morning, Randy. Yes, I am a parrot head. You know, I actually read <laughs> Jimmy's autobiography many years ago, and uh, he uh, I, I remember he, he talked about the organization of his band, and he, he said he ended up the head of the band because he was the only one who could get credit to buy the to buy the guitar amplifier they needed. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's sad. He's a lot of lot of lot of great memories. Um, you know what what an American success story. He built, you know, it took what took what by all accounts is a modest amount of talent and a couple of good songs and built it to a real empire, you know, employed many people and just gave a lot of people uh, a lot of enjoyment and pleasure going to his concerts, listening to his songs. You know, he'll, he'll be missed. Yeah, and it was probably, uh, I, I think that uh, that that may be one of the most popular karaoke songs of all time. I know we've all heard it <laughs> in very, so. various venues. Did, did the Randy uh, Tobler hey, band a, ever do Jimmy Buffett? <laughs> I don't I don't know. I, I You know, I played with Bob Cuban's band for so many years. I don't think that was one of our big hits that we played, but um, maybe, yeah, maybe, I don't know. There's go. so many requests that you have over the years. <laughs> hey, I understand you're in a museum. A thank you for spending our... Uh, regular monthly get together here uh, over you know with being overseas and taking time out from a, a well-deserved uh, break in in your schedule um wh- where are you and what museum are you in well right now i'm at the rec museum in amsterdam but uh but the, for the last uh, few days prior to that uh allison and i were in uh ireland uh yeah, first in Dublin and then uh, touring around the south and southwestern uh, part of that beautiful island. I wanted to touch base with you about the, what are you hearing, if anything, um, about just, is anyone in Ireland or, or now in Amsterdam or as you fly, you know, around and sit around with people in, in, in Western Europe? Um, what are the thoughts about uh, America and where America's at and leadership and, and the election. Are you hearing anything about that these days? You know, it was funny in Ireland, um, you know, talking to Americans, we would talk politics. But when you talk to uh, Irish folks on the street or cab drivers or tour guides, it is funny. Their uh, view of politics is much more centered around uh, Easter Sunday 1916 and the uh, the revolution against the uh, British and uh, figures like Eamon hmm. de Valerio and Daniel O'Connell and Michael Collins than it is about Trump or Biden or Putin or anyone else. Um, you know, Irish politics um, or the Irish culture and, and political scene is interesting. It's a lot like Illinois in a way, Randy, because um, you have the real population centers like Dublin and maybe Cork um, giving you, you know, crazy left wing uh, stuff like legalizing abortion, same sex marriage. And then you go out into the countryside, just like Illinois. It's a very uh, rural, conservative, uh, agrarian kind of place. Uh, people are devoutly Catholic, go to church, and uh, have very conservative values. So, um, but yeah, you know, having gotten into a lot of uh, discussions on uh, on international politics, and uh, I, I'm not sure um, the average um, the average person in, in Ireland is really, is really thinking a lot about um, uh, Trump and Biden right now. You know, it occurs to me that um, you're, you're in a museum and I'm thinking about some of the recent images and videos we've seen of 
climate change wacko activists defacing iconic, you know, time honored artwork in various, you know, high profile museums or, you know, in Western Europe. Um, That's pathetic. are, Are you hearing? Are you hearing much about, I'm, I'm, I hope you haven't seen any of that firsthand, but are you hearing much about the climate change, the expense uh, of, of energy in these countries that have gone full forward, you know, full throttle pedal to the metal, uh, you know, alternative energy? What, and how's the energy scene? Yeah, yeah. Well, when you drive by gas stations, uh, you, you, you see signs that say something like, you know, 180 or 190. And you say, boy, gas prices are pretty good until you realize that's a liter. So multiply oh. that by four uh, to translate oh. to gallons. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, here in, here in Amsterdam, it's very, very flat and everyone's on a bicycle. Um, but uh, the, the, <laughs> it's, it's amazing, Randy. Uh, they have so they have many, many, many brands of minuscule cars, like one seater cars. Uh, that you just oh. don't see in the United States. Now, I'm not sure uh, those who would pass trial lawyer scrutiny if they got in an accident. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I saw a handful of windmills in Ireland. Um, you know, when I do, when you do talk to normal folks, especially when I was out in the, you know, out in the country, uh, countryside, um, the, the Ring of Kerry and the Western Park Galway, um, you, you, you see that you, you see these beautiful, these beautiful wonders of, of, uh, of Irish, um, of Irish uh, geography, um, the, whether it be the, the cliffs of Mohan or the fjords uh, near Galway or, or glacial lakes. And I had a couple of tour guides say, just unprompted, we weren't discussing politics, say, you know, it took, it took you know, millions of years for all these forces of nature, the, the, the winds, the, the winds, the, uh, the, the sun, the, the freeze, the thaw to create this. It makes me hard to be- it makes it makes it hard to believe that somehow um, man um, producing carbon dioxide is in any way having a measurable effect on any of this. And one one guide talked about the little ice age uh, of 18, that we came out of in about 1850. So these cycles of freezes and thaws, ice ages and warmer temperatures, those have been going on for millions of years. It's really kind of arrogant for uh, yeah. for us human beings to think that we're making a measurable difference. And that's a good segue to something that's, uh, I think, on everyone's mind in light of what I believe now is the first the first fruits of Joe Biden economics uh, disastrous assault on our economy when it comes to this recession now um, we're seeing now yeah. I think I think everyday Americans have felt Bob the the crushing influence of inflation when a couple small plastic bags of groceries are now thirty forty dollars and now we saw yesterday in the jobs numbers tepid job growth uh, uptick yes. in the unemployment i think that now these policies yes. as uh, reverend wright like to say the chickens are coming home to roost your thoughts about uh joe biden bidenomics and the recent debate and 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 what all of this means as we head into this very very important political season election cycle well, well, Randy, Bidenomics has been a 
complete disaster. And it's completely irrational. Remember when the Keynesians uh, would say that, well, the way to get yourself out of a recession is for government to spend more and to have uh, deficits. But when you want to fight inflation, you have to tighten the belt. You have to balance the deficit, maybe even run a uh, balance the budget and even run a, 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 a somewhat of a surplus. Um, Bidenomics makes no sense whatsoever. Here we had a record inflation and Biden uh, put forward uh, one and then another and then another wasteful spending plan, uh, put spending on steroids at a time inflation was already high. No wonder the Federal Reserve, despite doubling interest rates, doubling home mortgage rates over the past year, hasn't been able to get a control control on inflation. And as you said, at the same time, um, job numbers are weakening. Now, the only reason job numbers have been, uh, have been or unemployment has been low is because of declining workforce participation. Um, so people just leave the job market altogether, either retire if they're older, uh, drop out and go on welfare sometimes if they're younger. Uh, so this has been a nightmare. Nothing about Biden's economic policy has made sense unless you are of that radical socialist persuasion that uh, that really you don't like the private sector you want to crush the private sector and you want the government government to control everything so in that way bidenomics uh, the biden uh, climate change agenda all are pushing in the same direction of 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 ordinary americans being poorer and poorer uh, paying more and more in taxes and uh, government getting bigger and bigger. It's it's really a recipe for disaster, and we're we're seeing it every day. Yeah, as an attorney, and we're talking. If you're just joining us, we're talking, Dr. Bob Onder. Um, if you have any uh, any allergy problems, allergy and asthma consultants is the place to go where Dr. Bob presides. But also an attorney, and uh, in, in light of this latest indictment, Bob, I, I just. I, from that perspective, uh, with 19 co-conspirators, including Donald Trump, oh, John Eastman, yes. with a, John Eastman, with a three part interview with Laura Ingram, he is taking off the gloves and saying this is less about the facts of our case and about this and that. I mean, he, I'm paraphrasing. This is about the very threat to the to the to the time honored uh, 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 right to that wall that that protects uh, the client attorney privilege and an attorney's right to counsel their client and to have discussions about where to go and what things mean and what kind of things can we do and not do. This is a real threat to all attorneys on the civil and criminal side. And I would think, you know, defendants, everyday Americans should be concerned about this. What about you? Well, that's right, Randy. I've said many times that if they can do this to Donald Trump, one of the wealthiest men in the United States, a former president, a man who can, can raise money for his own legal defense, what could they do to you or me? You sick one or two district attorneys on you and me, we would be bankrupt and we would be in jail uh, before uh, before you knew it. Um, this is pathetic. Yes, the uh, breaking down of, the, of that sacred uh, attorney-client privilege that defendants have depended on for d- throughout our republic, uh, but, on a, but, but even more than that, the politicization of the law enforcement and the judicial systems, um, this is, we're, we're more like a banana republic. And, and 
as much as the left claims to hate Vladimir Putin, the left is using these these leftist prosecutors are using uh, Putin like tactics, just like Putin wants his political opponents either dead or in jail. I'm afraid that the left wants the same thing for its political opponents. Look, Randy, if you know whether you like Donald Trump, whether you think his tweets are mean or not, um, what in the heck is 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 protected political speech if it's not disputing the result of an election? Hillary Clinton did it. Al Gore did it. Stacey Abrams did it. Countless Democrats have disputed results of election. And yes, using all legal means you can to try to you know try to make sure the outcome you think is right is the right outcome. That's what Al Gore did in the year 2000. Um, look, we, we are looking more like a, uh, like a banana republic, more like Ukraine or Russia in terms of our judicial system than we are like the government uh, under law um, with impartial justice that we have always prided ourselves as. I, uh, boy, I, it, it, it has not been more eloquently stated, the threat to our, boy, you talk, the Democrats like to talk about Donald Trump and MAGA people being the threat to uh, democracy. No, 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 no. The deep state that is the DOJ, with or without Merrick Garland and David Weiss. I mean, you know, that, that yeah. slow-walked investigation into Hunter Biden and the Biden, what looks like oh, a, yeah. a, a influence-peddling syndicate, um, that started under Donald Trump. But it was slow walked. Oh, yeah. The, the, the statutes of limitations were allowed to expire. This deep state is what frightens. Uh, uh, well, Donald Trump frightens the deep state, I think, more than anyone. But that's why that uh, that needs to be dismantled. Don't you think? Well, absolutely, Randy. You know, the, uh, the, the left really hates the, the word two-tiered justice, um, but, uh, but so does all <laughs> use it. Uh, but, it's, but it's not even two-tier. There's justice for, for political, justice or favoritism for politically favored defendants, and there's uh, unfair and trumped-up prosecution for politically disfavored uh, defendants. I mean, I mean, just think about it, even apart from Donald Trump and Hunter Biden, do you call it justice when uh, when someone who breaks a window gets years in prison and someone who burns down a police station, um, you know, gets months? It's just it's just utterly absurd. I mean, the, the prosecutions of the January 2nd riot, uh, January 6th rioters, um, likewise, just show this incredible desire to make political points uh of of prosecutions rather than doing justice it's pathetic yeah it really is and uh we the people need to stand up for for really dismantling this unjust so-called justice system hey bob i know you're in a in a museum there why don't you do this um offer them some kind of a discount on a reprint of the iconic Donald Trump mugshot. I would think that the Western European museums might want to have that. I mean, whether they like it or not, that that was one heck of a mugshot, wasn't it, last Thursday? That was awesome. Well, that's actually a Bob Onder mugshot uh, with the same emblem is now my uh, Twitter uh, uh, photograph, uh, portrait photograph uh, on Twitter. So, yeah, I, I think I, th- I thought that was that was awesome. I hope Donald Trump raises a lot of money on that. But seriously, right now we're up to 92 charges against Donald Trump. He could defeat 90 of them 
and still go to go to prison the rest of his life. It, it, it's just pathetic. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to let you go. And I just got logged on to your uh, to your Twitter account here and noticed that you do have that as the uh, as the headline picture there. It, but there's only one problem. Bob Onder just can't be mean, no matter how much he tries, because you're smiling in that in that memed mugshot, and that's the way we know. It I know. I, I used I used an old photo. I should I should do a, I should do a, <laughs> a, an angry shot because I'll tell you I I, I was angry the day that photo of yeah, the original yeah. got taken. That's for darn sure. Hey, well, we uh, thanks for being with us and taking a little time out of some R and R. We look forward to talking to you uh, on our next monthly get together. Thanks, Doctor Bob. Safe travels. That's great, Randy. Thank you. Have a great weekend. All right. Dr. Bob Onder, at Bob Onder M-O on, uh, on uh, X, formerly Twitter. Well, we talked about the two-tier justice. We talked about the assault on people that the regime don't doesn't like, uh, people that they don't like. Uh, and uh, I have evidence that maybe Fonnie Willis, or is it Fannie Willis? Fonnie, you say Fonnie, I say Fannie. Let's call the whole thing off. Um there's evidence that she has exonerating uh, uh, documentation on some of those defendants, and she didn't come forward with it. I think that these DAs and maybe Jack Smith are going to be embarrassed as this discovery process goes on. It's the Randy Tober Show. Give me a buzz. 314-912-1019 here on News Talk STL. And you can hear us on, by the way, Alexa. You can watch us streaming. You can watch us on Rumble, on not YouTube. No, Twitter. What is what is No YouTube. Twitter, Rumble, no YouTube. and Facebook. I keep hoping that I'll be on YouTube, but she doesn't want me on YouTube. Okay, Twitter, <laughs> Rumble, and Facebook. We'll be back. 314-912-1019. Your call's welcome. Searching for If you're just joining us, we've been uh, celebrating the music and the life and the culture uh, movement that Jimmy Buffett launched, of course, celebrating coastal culture, his home being down in Key West. And of course, uh, he lamented when he had to go on the road, but loved coming back to the beach. And so spawned a whole bunch of restaurants and branding from everything from resorts to restaurants to, uh, of of course, clothing and everything else. Dead at age 76, Jimmy Buffett. I remember Jimmy, I think as much for his music. I mean, I was never really a parrot head, but um, we had the pleasure of, of diving down on Crystal River down in Florida where the manatee reside uh, in the 90s. It was a mid 90s. Uh, and I understand shortly after that, they uh, they they banned that because the, the motorboats, those friendly big, you know, sea walruses, uh, they were just so friendly. They would come up to the surface and they'd get, you know, chewed up by the propellers on the boats. So there was becoming a problem. But it was so rewarding to, to be down there and, and so close. I mean, within feet of these big animals um, just hanging out with you. And I remember that broke a rib carrying all of our scuba equipment because you have to park in a parking lot and then walk. Uh, it seemed like half a mile. Maybe it wasn't. But with heavy scuba equipment, I was trying to be chivalrous and uh that's when I had a, a, a hormonal disease that uh, is curious, better now, but uh, I had some weak bones. I broke a rib during that trip. I remember that fondly, not so fondly. It's mm-hmm. hard to dive with a broken rib, but um, boy, that was a trip to remember. And it was so fun to be there down there with the manatee. Jimmy Buffett had a, a 501c3 that was all about saving the manatee. 
and um, it still, you know, it lives on. So that's my connection with Jimmy Buffett. Uh, quite a, quite a musician and quite a legend. We will miss him. Leah, you're a Buffett fan, right? Is that true? Um, he's on your playlist. Yeah, I just said I grew up listening to like '90s and 2000s country, and he was definitely in the rotation. Like, I wouldn't call myself a parrot yeah. head by any means, but I knew yeah. like his music yeah. definitely. Yeah, but I know your dad's a big musician, probably yeah. uh, into into Buffett a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. All right, oh, good. Uh, well, uh, to to return to the political grind, and we were talking with Bob Onder about that in the past segment. We'll talk with Virginia Cruda about a few of these items as well, both culture and politics. Um, this Fannie Willis gal down in Georgia is an interesting person. You know, she campaigned on get Trump, get Trump, get Trump. Well, apparently there's some evidence that exonerates some Republicans that she's targeting in this 98-page indictment that, of course, alleges a RICO scheme to conspire to, you know, overturn the election when at least one of the defendants, and I think many of them, are going to come out saying, wait a minute, we have every right to challenge the election. And, and one of her allegations was she alleged the existence of Republican electors for Trump that constituted an unlawful conspiracy. Among those charged for partaking in the conspiracy was David Schaefer, one of Georgia's 2020 uh, Republican electors, and Ray Smith, who served as one of Trump's lawyers at the time. So Fannie Willis claimed that Schaefer and the other alternate electors unlawfully, this is a quote from the indictment, unlawfully falsely held themselves out, close quote, as Georgia's duly elected and qualified presidential elected electors. And that they intentionally attempted to mislead figures such as Mike Pence and the Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, quote, into believing that they actually were such officers. However, there are documents that Willis obtained during the investigation, which was a meeting transcript that refutes, directly refutes those allegations. Now, I know this sounds weedy, but I think if you follow the thread here, you'll, you'll get it. A transcript of the Georgia Republican electors, December 14th, around this was December, December 14th, 2020 meeting obtained by the Federalist, explicitly shows the intent behind casting alternate electors. That was it was not to impersonate the public officers, but to preserve Trump's legal challenge. And the way this works, let me just paint for you a picture. Well, to, 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 this is this is historically true. In the 1960 election between John Kennedy and, and Richard Nixon, the first ballot count in Hawaii gave the election to Nixon. So Kennedy's people prepared an alternate slate of electors while they challenged the count. The count turned out to throw it in Kennedy's direction, and as I understand it, I've been told this by attorneys. As I understand it, and as they understand it, the what happened was the, the, the count, the recount, turned out to be for Kennedy. And so those electors were the, were the ones that then went to the electoral college, you know, vote, casted the electoral college vote. So in other words, this is sort of an electoral slate in waiting while you challenge the, elector, the election results, the, the, the count at the state level. At the meeting's outset, Schaefer, 
who was one of these alternate electors, specifically noted how he and his fellow Republicans were acting as, quote, Republican nominees for presidential elector, not as duly elected and qualified presidential electors. And the minutes of that meeting goes on to say, Trump had filed a contest to to certified returns. This is all in that meeting transcript. That contest is pending and has not been decided or even heard by any judge within the authority to hear it. And so in order to preserve his rights, it's important that the Republican nominees for presidential elector meet here today and cast their votes. You see, this was basically in case the recount turned in the direction of Trump and while the challenge was going on through the courts. By the time December 24th arrived, the day on which nominees for presidential electors are required for federal law to meet, Trump and Schaefer's lawsuit was still pending. As such, according to the Federalist report, Georgia's Republican nominees, including Schaefer, cast their electoral votes for Trump, while the state's Democrat nominees cast theirs for Biden. And during that meeting on the 14th, Schaefer clarified the legal rationale. Quote, and so the only way for us to have any judge consider the merits of our complaint, the thousands of people we allege voted unlawfully, is for us to have this meeting and permit the contest to continue. The lawyer, and he asked a question, and the lawyer for Trump said that's correct. The naming of contingent Republican electors during that election closely mirrors efforts taken during during the 60 uh, presidential contest, as I said. So, I mean, look, the Federalist is, is there's a large number of, as you remember, they, they recommended a slate of proposed Supreme Court justice nominees that Donald Trump put up as his shortlist in the 2016 election. There's a lot of, there's a lot of smart legal, legal people at the Federalist and, you know, through the Federalist. Unlike Kennedy, however, Trump never had his day in court over his legal challenges to those votes, but had, but had the court ruled in Trump's favor, the alternative electors would have been in place to ensure the will of the Georgia people was exercised. I I think that Fannie Willis, the Democrat Party, the deep state assault on Donald Trump is going to fall on its face. And that could lead to the election of Donald Trump, not only in the primary, but um, if independent voters, and again, that's where the decision making will be in the general election 2024. It will not be you if you're a MAGA person, it will not be you if you're a DeSantis, if you're a Ramaswamy, if you're a, an Asa Hutchinson. It doesn't matter. Committed Republican voters are going to probably vote for whoever the nominee is, in this case, Donald Trump. It is that independent voting block, the large block that determines our elections now. And to narrow it further, in what, six or seven, a handful of, 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 of uh, swing states? Are those, and I think those people are the people that are probably fairly fair-minded people. That's why they vote one way or the other. Sometimes we committed conservatives will sometimes be blind to the missteps of our own people, and we'll vote for our own people no matter how corrupt or how tainted they are, sadly. It's not going to be the left. It's not going to be the far right. It's going to be the middle. Those people are fair-minded, and they don't like even a Donald Trump. Even they may they may be put off by the way he conducts himself, and it was embarrassing the way he was going after DeSantis, even as DeSantis was trying to manage this this uh, hurricane. By the way, I was that was not good form, but 
we've come to expect that kind of crass behavior by Donald Trump. Um, I think those independent minded voters may say enough. I, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump because I, I just I, I I can't deal with this this assault on him and this persecution of him unfairly. That's the only way I see to Donald Trump's victory in the general. So we'll have to see how it plays out. I don't know. Again, it's not going to be you or me or Donald, uh, you know, Bob Onder. It's not going to be you. We're not going to make the difference. It's going to be those people in the middle. When we come back, I think I'll talk to Virginia Cruda about this and see what she thinks, um, as well as um, Mitch McConnell. And the well, it was either a seizure or a, a post-concussive seizure uh, or, a, or a, 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 a small mini stroke or maybe a Parkinsonian moment. He has had Parkinson's. I have an idea what I think Mitch should do. We'll ask Virginia about that when we come back here on the Randy Tobler Show. Don't go anywhere. It's 1019 News Talk STL. Well, it's 7.44 and we're playing a lot of Jimmy Buffett music this morning because he passed away at age 76 with friends, family, and dogs at his side. And so we're asking guests as they come on this morning if they are indeed parrot heads and we ask that now with virginia cruda as she makes her weekly appearance here on the tobler show virginia a big parrot head are you spending a lot of were you spending a lot of time in margaritaville or not um, i enjoy it from time to time but it's not really my like that that wouldn't be my go-to <laughs> okay okay um, it's hey, good for I, i've been reading about the summertime yeah 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 hey i've been reading a lot of the great great pieces you've had on the daily wire and um you you had a, you wrote a story I hadn't seen this. It was great to see that uh, Justice Thomas, who's come under Clarence Thomas, who's come under under a lot of fire, of course, by the left. And nothing new. It started yeah. during his confirmation hearings. He's got a lot right. of backing, doesn't he? Oh yeah, yeah. About about a, a more than a hundred of his former clerks uh, wrote a letter recently in support of him, saying basically that. His his character is unimpeachable, and he uh, he was. They said things like, "Well, you know, his his office became like a place for all of the clerks, whether they were his clerks or not, to get together and bounce ideas off each other." And and just he's the kind of guy who everybody talked to in the halls because he talked to everybody, and. That's it, it's something that, you know, we've heard before about Clarence Thomas, that he's just a genuinely good man. Um, but it's something that kind of gets buried when there are all these attacks against him about, you know, did he travel with, you know, a, a, a billionaire and not disclose the trip? But, you know, you're allowed to travel with friends according to the code of ethics. And then, of course, you've got Sonia Sotomayor, who has made millions on her books and has not recused herself from cases involving the publisher of said books. And they're going after Clarence Thomas because he went somewhere on a private jet with a friend. Like, these are things that, you know, if... You can't take it seriously, even if you're just looking at the supposed infraction, but then you put it up against his character and the kind of person that he is based on the people who know him. And it's just, it becomes even more ridiculous on its face. Virginia, um, speaking of men that have come under attack, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy 
<laughs> was attacked by the swarm of other uh, candidates on the stage a week ago uh, Wednesday. And uh, Nikki Haley uh, persisted in her attack on a Twitter post on Thursday concerning um, Iran, alleging that he's soft on foreign despots and evil regimes. It's an interesting back and forth between Nikki and, and Vivek. They're, they're developing a real, uh, a real rivalry, aren't they? Well, I think it's interesting that you pose that as Nikki Haley attacking Vivek when, yes, she did, but it was a return shot. It was not, she wasn't, he actually created an entire segment on his campaign website where he refers to her by her um, given Indian name, Nimarada Randawa, which was, which is, which is her maiden name. Haley is her married name. Um, her name is Nimarada Nikki. Uh, that's her middle name. Nikki is her given middle name and that's what she goes by. And so he refers to her on the page as Nimarada Randawa calls her a liar and uh, I mean there, this is actually printed on his campaign site so I, I think that it's it's disingenuous to suggest that Haley's attacking him when it appears to be that and, and, and this is just my opinion I'm watching this and I'm seeing Haley attack Vivek's positions and Vivek attacking Haley as a person and I don't, I don't but like, who, it. I don't like. But who started it? I don't like it? the visit. What, um, well. But what, what, he, but what he, about last Wednesday, the Wednesday week ago? Uh, and I have my own yeah. evolving problems with Vivek. Uh, the fact that he didn't vote till later in his life. Uh, right. I had a caller on my, uh, on my mid-Missouri show yesterday uh, who's quite involved in investments. Uh, alleged that Vivek and one of his biotech deals was basically a pump and dump kind of a thing. Oh, and he yeah, left in sure. other investors in the wake. So there's there's some stuff emerging on him that's not as uh, crystal. He's not he's not as clean as he'd like us to think he is. Well, no, it, it, but it began as a policy dispute where Vivek has one um, one view of how how we should handle our allies and opposition in the Middle East and Nikki Haley has a very different one. Um, and so it started with that. It started with Vivek saying um, that saying some things about how he would like to eventually cut aid to Israel. It started with that um, and with how he thinks that he, you know, he doesn't want a nuclear Iran. Nobody wants a nuclear Iran. Right. Um, but he said that the way to do that was to prevent Russia and China from joining forces. No, I'm not really sure how A plus B equals C. And as far as that, like, I'm not sure how he's connecting those dots because his goal was to end the war in Ukraine, Russia by forcing Ukraine to give Russia a lot of the stuff that Russia wanted. And that's why they invaded in the first place. And so there are a lot of people who are upset about that. That, that he wants Ukraine to concede when Russia's the aggressor. Um, but also, he's saying that that's the way to keep Russia and Iran from, t uh, Russia and China from China teaming up. And if Russia and China don't team up, then China won't invade Taiwan, and then Iran won't become nuclear or something. I don't know how he's getting from point A to point B, like I said. Um, but Haley, who has been a defender of Israel, for you know, since long before she went to the UN as a U.S. ambassador, said 
this is this is unsustainable. You can't do this. This is our only ally in the Middle East, and you're okay with. Then he did an interview with an Israeli paper where he said something about, um, or he, he he basically said, "We don't want Iran to be nuclear. We want to be friends with Israel. We're going to defend Israel as much as we can." And they asked him point blank, does this include military intervention should Iran attack Israel? And he said, well, the last thing we want is our men and women in war against Iran. And so people took that as the deflection that it appears to be. We're not going to get involved militarily, which is a huge departure from Republican policy. And that's what Nikki Haley was arguing back about. And she's saying, "Hey, it's one that, if you're if you're not willing to do this, then you're not truly willing to say we support Israel no matter what." And Vivek is calling but, her a liar for calling him out on that. But that's an interesting. Okay, I get it. So this is uh, it's partially semantic, but mainly uh, uh, policy driven. Um, I, I think it's a it's an instructive discussion to have within conservative well, sure. slash GOP circles, right? Because I, I I'm not sure most Republicans, if asked, would say let's let's put boots on the ground in in the Middle East, you know, in defense well, of Israel. I think they're as much at as, it as we a like last it. resort, but they think if he's unwilling to even say that, that there might be other things. I, th- I think that there's a lot of underlying problematic foreign policy issues. That and this is just the dividing wedge, um, because when yeah. when Haley went after, you know, everybody's talking about Nikki Haley versus Vivek. Mike Pence said exactly the same thing that Haley did about Vivek's comments on Iran and Israel. Well, I think I think Vivek is probably he's he's uh, doubling down on the MAGA uh, slash Tucker slash isolation a Rand paul slash you know basically a, a more isolationist wing of the of the new republican party versus what some might say is the more neoconservative view which is yeah we need to be involved uh, up to right. some well, minds, I, I including it's more. a good conversation to have i'm not saying that one position is inherently better than the other but i think that if you are going to defend your position by calling somebody names then you're not doing a good job. You're doing a disservice I to agree. the position you claim to represent. That's my issue with yep. Vivek right now in this particular Amateur dispute. mistake. Because yeah. he, well, and people said this after the debate, he's trying to out-Trump Trump and you can't do it. No. You, nope. you can't right. do That's that. Well and it, it doesn't look uh, good on anybody. It doesn't look good on Trump either, but it definitely doesn't look good on anybody yeah. else. Especially when that's so what will, the majority of Republicans right. who don't like Trump are trying to get away from. In the last minute or two we have, I will take that as uh, if you were buying stock, I would say Virginia's investment uh, portfolio may have sold a few shares, maybe many shares of Vivek and bought a few uh, for Nikki. I'm just, you know, I'm speculating. What about Ron DeSantis and his management, not only of Ian previously, but again, it seems like he did it again. Preparedness, surge capacity when, when a threat. Excellent leadership. Where is DeSantis on your stock portfolio? Rising, falling, staying the same? Well, here's here's my thing. You know, there are a lot of people who are saying, oh, look at Ron DeSantis. He he co- totally ignored the presidential campaign and he's focusing on the hurricane. Well, sure he is. He's the governor of Florida. It's his job to do that. He's got he's got to do that. Or who's going to vote for him? Because if he can't manage the state because 
he's off campaigning, then what does that say about him as a as a candidate? Right. right. right? So I, I think that people are largely they're they're going bananas and and getting out the ticker tape when he's doing the job they already hired him to do like i i don't i don't get yeah. the fanaticism there no that said well, i, I tell think you, he's a very solid candidate and i think that he is showing that he's solid instead of just standing up and saying that he's solid and i'm trying to I, i'm kind of holding my breath and waiting for the left to say that the right opposes climate change so that we'll have more hurricanes so that governors like ron DeSantis can prove that they're better like this whole thing is, is orchestrated <laughs> from from you know the weather control that Republicans apparently have. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I, I I hope and pray that uh, voters will be looking at how a leader leads rather than whether the they're, whether they're the brightest shiniest object uh, on the stage. But we'll have to leave it there and uh, and and commend uh, that people follow you both on your Twitter feed at uh, well now your X feed at VA Cruda and here on the station in your various platforms and we look forward to talking with you next week have a great Labor Day weekend alright you too alright Virginia Cruda always words of wisdom and a deep insight for Virginia when we come back I talked with State Senator Cindy O'Laughlin the Senate Majority Leader I want you to hear that interview when we come back on the Tobler Show the majority leader of the Missouri Senate joins me now. She is none other than Cindy O'Laughlin. How you doing, Senator Cindy O'Laughlin? You know, I'm doing better now that it's cooling off. Yeah, me too. I'm t- Do you think we should maybe have a little global cooling hysteria going on if we're a little below average? <laughs> I don't yes, know. <laughs> really. My goodness, last week was awful. It was brutal. It was. And people are struggling. There's so many things to talk about. Um, we're, we're in a little bit of, a, I guess, a, from a, from the citizenry perspective, a little bit of a downtime, a little, you know, slow news cycle, not a lot coming up. But I know that you're, it's never ending when you're in the legislature, much less a leader in the Senate. Um, but um, energy costs, uh, because of some policy, you know, uh, decisions made at the national level, have really bit into people's pocketbooks. And um, I know it's a concern of yours, too. Tell us about that and, and some concerns you have about the Public Service Commission. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it, it kind of starts at the federal level where um, the current administration is really pushing hard for what it calls green energy and um, for them defining green energy as solar panels and windmills. And the whole problem with that idea is, number one, people would not be even implementing it if they weren't getting massive tax subsidies to do so. And number two, you have to retain your current energy production because neither windmills nor solar are a reliable source of power and their power cannot be stored and dispatched when you need it. So you have to keep your coal plants running, which by the way, most of ours are clean coal. They're really not doing anything to destroy the, the atmosphere. Um, Nuclear power is a great clean source of power. We also have that. So the state of Missouri has good, reliable, affordable power. 
but the federal government in its push to kind of uh, put that on the back burner so to speak or shut it down entirely and incentivizing all of this investment in a in a form of power that doesn't work this is all coming together to mean higher prices for consumers they won't allow um, usually licensing for any new nuclear facility. They're very, very strict about any kind of even new gas facility. And what the administration is doing is strangling, you know, basically the country's resources to try to drive people in a direction that people don't want to go and people basically understand that it doesn't work. So, From there, you go to your Public Service Commission, which um, is populated with people that the governor appoints. There's, I think, five people on the commission, and they serve a total of six years. And the current chairman of the commission is Scott Roop. He's actually in an expired term, but the governor has not replaced him yet. And he he really buys into the green energy idea. So looking ahead and seeing what happens if you shut down your traditional energy generators and you try to go with green energy and you come to times when you really need a lot of energy, like when it's really hot or when it's really cold, you start to have rolling blackouts. And so Scott has decided that um, Evergy, which supplies a lot of energy in our state, should go to a new rate base. And that rate base, um, there's four different options, but each of the four options starts with quadrupling your rate from 4 to 8 p.m. and goes up from there. Mm. So, you know, working people, all all people, basically, are using a lot of power from 4 to 8. And uh, one of the commissioners said to me, well, you know, what will happen when... You know, everyone's driving an electric car and they get home at night and they want to, everybody plugs their car in at night. And then, of course, our grid cannot support that. Well, number one, everybody isn't going to be driving an electric car. They're very expensive and people know there's nowhere to charge them. And number two, the main function of the Public Service Commission is to be sure that people have reliable, affordable power. And they're basically mandating something that's really going to hurt working people, senior citizens who can't even understand the rate change, uh, people with disabilities. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And so um, I've... Uh, sent off a couple of letters. I've attended a PSC meeting. I've let the PSC commissioners that are currently on, that's currently serving, know that um, I, I don't look on this with favor, and neither does the minority leader. So J.J. Rizzo, Rizzo is the minority leader. I'm the majority leader. We sent a letter to the PSC saying we we would like to see you either suspend this rule or reverse it. Yeah. And so far that hasn't happened. So what it what does it take to exert more force than uh, a request? I mean, does it take, you know, just statutory, you know, take over with with legislation and can that well, be done in time? There's a couple of things that can happen. I mean, this rate change is supposed to happen in October. 
Um, I know that there there's a fairly substantial amount of pressure being applied. I think the governor could speak to the people on the Public Service Commission and, you know, gently encourage them to suspend the rule. If that doesn't happen and somehow there's not a vote taken to reverse what's happening, then we would have to make a statutory change. And and we've let them know that we're we are going to pursue that if this is not stopped. Well, that's good. You mentioned this is, you know, one particular energy, uh, you know, uh, distribution firm or energy company. Um, where does where does that geographically impact Missourians? Is it here in central Missouri? Well, is it? There, there's a, there's some in central Missouri. There's a lot of people in Kansas City. Okay. Evergy has about 550,000 customers in Missouri. Mm. Um, you know, all kind of along the western edge of the state. But in addition to that, um, the next thing will be Ameren. Yeah. And, and Ameren serves thousands of customers. So, you know, it, it needs to be stopped now. And I I feel that um, if, they, if they don't stop it themselves, that we're, we're willing and um, dedicated to, to stopping it, to changing what their authority is. And, you know, I've had a couple of suggestions. Uh, number one being... Maybe we make them come back to the Senate for another confirmation after two years. Because what happens is people get on commissions like this, and then they just sort of, uh, unless they keep the consumer in mind, they can kind of run amok. And we don't have an immediate authority to stop that. But we do have authority to make a long-term change, and I feel like that might be coming. Okay, so I mean, you know, there's there's some structural changes that may be needed, but at a minimum, you know, uh, increased pressure. Can citizens do anything? What can what can listeners do? Is there anything they can do? Well, I mean, I do think that they should maybe contact the governor's office and express their displeasure. And I think they should also contact their senator. Okay. I think most of the senators, and we'll be all together. Um, in a couple of weeks for the veto session, you know, we'll be talking about that. None of us want to see people punished further with a huge price increase in their utilities, especially when the providers did not ask for this. And in fact, (laughs) ask the Public Service Commission not to mandate this. Well, what's what's their rationale? What's... What's their rationale? Well, I mean, they're trying to change people's behavior. Oh, my God. They are rationing power. So this is, I see, this is just getting ahead of it so that they don't have to have dirt on their face, you know, when when there's a a brownout or something. Yeah, I got it. Yes, exactly. Wow. Rather rather than pursuing the forms of energy we know (laughs) work and are affordable, we're shutting them down and trying to go in a direction that doesn't work and costs are skyrocketing. It's crazy. That's crazy. I, I tell you. Well, okay, so one more thing on the energy front. I think it's a big black box to most of us as to who has jurisdiction over the sources of energy within a state. And what I'm thinking of here, we're hearing more and more, many of them former 
wildly green, I'm talking Sierra Club type activists on climate change and so forth saying, look, 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 I, 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 you know, nuclear used to be the devil, but no, nuclear is the safest, the cleanest, and certainly the cheapest way to produce a lot of fuel, a lot of energy. What what can you and leaders in the state, if anything, do to, if, if you think it's a good idea, uh, to, to help um, facilitate perhaps some expansion of nuclear in the state? Or is it a federal well, deal? We discussed that last year. One of the things I've been worried, very much worried about is the idea that, okay, we're going to shut your coal plants down and you're going to, you know, operate on solar and wind. And we, we know that that doesn't work. And we have had several discussions about expanding nuclear power. First of all, you have to get permitted through EPA which is, you know, a long, torturous mm. process. But one of the things that stops energy providers from doing that is it's a humongous cost. And currently, they cannot start to build customers for that cost until the plant is up and running. So, you know, if you're looking at a, let's say, at, at a minimum five or six year process building a nuclear plant, I mean, you're going to be out a lot of money. Mm-hmm. A lot of money. So, you know, we need to look at that regulation and I think change it in a way that makes it a little more affordable mm-hmm. for our providers to go that route because it is a clean form of energy. It's a safe form of energy yeah. and it's really the direction we ought to be going. Yeah, no doubt about it. We're talking with Senator Cindy O'Loughlin, who's the majority uh, uh, leader in the Senate. Uh, a veto session in a couple of weeks. What's, what's any major um, actions there? that might we might see that uh, might reverse a veto over override it i don't i don't see that on our side i mean um there were things vetoed in everybody's district but there was a lot of money spent as you know Mm -hmm. and i i think people feel that maybe enough's enough i mean there are things they wanted to do and but they couldn't get them done and I mean, let's be honest about it. When you override the governor, unless it's for really, you know, a very, very important priority, it doesn't make for the best of relationships. Okay. So, uh, okay. Well, that's that's cool. That's good to know. Uh, what are, what are looking at an election season coming up? Final question. Yes. Uh, generally that I would think to sort of would most politicians are going to if they're up for election are going to be cautious about any risky votes or you know introducing bills that are can be torn apart by their opponents do you anticipate a relatively non-productive session or do you think some things can get done like school choice for instance and property taxes well, for instance <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, you know we, we should have done school choice like I don't know 10 years ago and the reality of it is um, really a lot of people from rural areas are very very um, connected to their schools and even though they understand that the outcomes of education have been on a downward trajectory for quite some time long before COVID COVID made it worse but um, they're very reluctant to to implement school choice but if you look around the nation i mean it's it's coming it's everywhere and i believe that 
I'm not saying there are no good schools. There are some good schools, and there are some very good teachers. I do think the education system has been far too infiltrated by the federal government, who never has a good idea as far as I'm concerned. Um, we don't need them to tell us how to educate children. And if you look at what the outcomes are now, you can see that, you know, I'm right. We don't need them. Absolutely. Yeah. So anytime you have an election season, you, you have an environment where um, some people will just put their head down and work hard and just try to get something done that's good for the people. Others are, you know, looking for that next headline. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily good for anybody. Yeah. So I've got a list of about 10 things that I'm looking at and working on, things that have come up in the past where there's been some conflict and going to try to bring people together before we even get there. Yeah. Well, to good. See what what can we do? Yeah, it's 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 the meeting before the meeting before the meeting. <laughs> yeah. And and I have to I have to tell you, I don't know anyone that's able to get along with as many people and get stuff done like Senator O'Loughlin, having been my uh, senator in my former uh, my pre previous uh, reside, uh, abode. But I have to tell you, um, I don't envy your position as the Senate Majority Leader because that to me probably makes herding cats look like a day in the park, a walk in the park. <laughs> Well, you know, every senator, both sides of the aisle, every senator has good things about them, and they're they're they all have strengths. And if you spend enough time trying to think about what it is they want to do, and you look, it's kind of like a Rubik's cube. But you know, bring together people that you know may have opposing views and try to come up with a compromise. I, you know, it worked last session for the most part up until the very end so you know try to try to try to be proactive not reactive all right well uh, you, <laughs> i hope you rest up and <laughs> are ready to get your full armor on and before the battle begins next january <laughs> but i think I, i'm one of the oldest people in the senate so i i'm like the guy on the insurance commercial <laughs> says i've seen a lot there you <laughs> go i know what you mean <laughs> nothing surprises you yeah hey senator right. Cindy olaf and thank you very very much and i hope we can uh, as things move along towards that session, as those priorities become crystallized and there may be is some hope, I'd like to discuss the top three or four that maybe um, maybe voters can really help help you by, you know, communicating with their um, their senators and, of course, their representatives in the House as well. That'd be great. Thanks for hey, having me on. Thanks a lot, Cindy. Appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Senator O'Loughlin. It is a uh, relatively divided um, caucus in the Senate anyway. I think the House is more uh, unified, and she'll have her hands full again next session, especially in this election cycle. But we are confident she will be able to accomplish whatever is accomplishable next session. Coming up, we're going to talk to RNC spokesperson Madison uh, Gilbert about um, – What's going on in the RNC and uh, how are they managing some divisions there? The traditionalists versus the new Republicans and the new jobs report, too. That coming up on 1019-941 News Talk STL. Yes, it's the Randy Tobler Show. Glad you're here. Happy Labor Day weekend. Ever since you rescued me, guaranteed you'll never be the same. You like this? Oh, man, make sure. I like that. What is that? That's good. Cool. 
It's Mac Powell. It's called River of wow, Light. That's cool. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. Well, there's Leah playing all the fun bumper music on this Labor Day weekend. And I'm looking forward to my first discussion with uh, Madison Gilbert, but I'm she's the RNC national spokesperson. How you doing, Madison? Doing well. Good to be with you this morning. So I have to, I love the language and I love uh, names and how they're pronounced. And, you know, we have a, we have an enclave uh, of, of ethnic Italian life here in uh, St. Louis called The Hill. And uh, when I was in the music business, I had a lot of friends that uh, were from The Hill and a wonderful boy, the deli's there. They, you'll see the, so they're playing bocce ball. And, uh, and then I saw your middle, well, I don't know if it's your maiden name or your middle. Madison, is it Gisotto Gilbert? Is that, what is that? How do you, Jesse Otto. That is my yeah. maiden name. It is Jesse Otto. That's correct. And it's is it Italian. It is. I love that. Well, that's good. Well, so all of our all of Thank our you. listeners on the hill are going to really enjoy this uh, segment, and and I'm going to enjoy talking to you about uh, the great opportunity that this election cycle presents for the Republican slash conservative movement. You got to be excited about it, right? You know, it's unfortunate that we're in the position that we're in. However, you're correct. It presents us with an amazing opportunity to go in to win and to make people's lives better after next November. Beating Biden, I think, is just the very start of that. Yeah. On the other hand, I don't think it's any secret that there is there's a bit of tension within uh, conservative and again, slash <laughs> Republican ranks, right? In that you've got the MAGA new Republicans on the one hand, and you've got, you know, more traditional Republicans. And I think they're all good faith Republicans that want to make America great again, some by having a more active foreign policy, others by having a less interventionist policy. From an RNC perspective, how do you guys navigate that at RNC Central? Well, I think one of the things that we're very focused on going into next year is uniting like we never have before. Time and time again, we've seen these Democrats. They disagree on everything behind closed doors some days, but they come together and they make sure they push their candidates over the finish line and win elections. And so as a Republican Party, and this is part of why we think that the pledge has been so important on the RNC debate stage for the presidential this year, uh, we want our candidates to say and be able to really come together next year. Even if I'm not the nominee, maybe I'm not going to become president. But I'm going to make sure that I support whoever is our nominee. And Chairwoman McDaniel, myself, many others at the RNC have been really pushing this message because we recognize we need this unity to win. Yes, Biden has nothing to run on. Yes, he has a terrible record. Uh, but without being united, that doesn't matter. Because not only do we need all of our Republicans to unite and get out to vote, but we're going to need independents, too. And those independents simply didn't swing our way in 2022. So we need to make sure that we stay united so that we can focus on spending our money and time and effort on swaying those votes that we're going to need next November to win not only the presidential, but up and down, up and down the ticket all across the country. Talking with Madison Gilbert, RNC national spokesperson. And you're so right. Isn't it ironic that as in most things in life, Madison, some of our best traits can be our Achilles heel. For instance, OK, I do talk radio. Boy, do I get myself in trouble with my mouth once in a while, you know? Uh, and and I think that well, just talk to my wife. She'll remind me of that uh, daily. No, I'm kidding. But uh, it's true that what the beautiful principled uh, stance that individual Republicans take in their own life, they're principled people. Uh, but sometimes that that 
can get in the way of coalescence. I think of how on the Democrat side, you know, we've heard these uh, these you know these recordings of the of the calls that go the the you know the the talking points calls that go out, and it seems like every morning the Democrats all get on some magic line, and whether it's Schumer or whether it's someone at a state or Senate or Republic or, or representative level, man, w- within within minutes and and later on all through the news cycle that day. No matter what platform on, at no matter what jurisdictional level, they they walk lockstep and they talk lockstep. It's an amazing thing. And I think we should take a page from that playbook. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, and I think we have to recognize as Republicans, uh, you know, I'm one of the most conservative people around. I'm a grassroots Republican. I got my start knocking on doors and making phone calls many years ago, helping other candidates get elected before ultimately coming uh, a Republican nominee in the midterm cycle last year here in my home state of Ohio, and now obviously being with the RNC. Uh, But the one thing that I think is so, so very important is that we look around us and we say, this is an open doors party. We want you here with us. You may not agree with me on everything. And my 80% friend is not my 20% enemy, uh, as Reagan and many others have said. That's such a very important thing for people to be really living by right now. You know what? If you don't agree with me on the social issues, that's okay. Let's work together on the economy and let's get that accomplished. Uh, In our own lives, we can have a principled stance on, on any of the issues. But bringing people into the party, I think, is so important. And it's something we saw, I think, very successfully happen for us as a Republican Party from 2016 to 2020 um, with President Trump as well, seeing a minority voter shift to the Republican Party back in 2016, seeing a lot of women that voted for us that didn't vote for us previously, maybe didn't vote for us in 2022. We want them back. Uh, and we want to continue to, you know, as I said, unfortunately, but be able to capitalize on the failures of the administration, Joe Biden, his lack of leadership in the Democrats in Congress as well. I think, uh, Madison, we've we've seen uh, uh, yesterday's jobs report, I believe, is like there's been this submarine of the silent recession driven by inflation that people are hurting so badly. I don't do much shopping, but I was telling the audience earlier, man, I went out and I came home with a couple bags of, you know, plastic bags, small plastic bags of groceries last weekend. And I told my wife, I said, OMG, I couldn't, be- I, you know, it really hit home <laughs> the cost of things. And, and I think that yesterday's numbers began to show the real damage that this administration has done through profligate spending unrestrained uh you know uh, borders and you know the lack of a domestic independence which we had under uh, energy independence which we had under donald trump and i think now we're beginning to see these jobs numbers the unemployment rate creeping up uh jobs beginning to to go away um i think it's only going to get worse and as you said sadly Americans are going to really suffer now as this submarine comes to the surface and we see the recession come full force. But that should that should really be a rallying cry for the principles of free markets, closed borders, energy independence. I mean, those 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 are winners in the independent uh, mindset, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, at this point, you're seeing so many people out there that maybe last year weren't quite ready to see what was going on, right? And now they're really feeling it in a way that they have not felt it before. A lot of them maybe voted for Joe Biden in 2020. They regret that vote. And they're not necessarily quite ready to vote for Republican. But I think some of them are tuning in. They're opening their ears. They're listening. They're watching. And that was, you know, one of the things that I think was great about our RNC debate. Uh, We were talking about policy and hopefully planting the seed for some of those viewers watching that won't necessarily be voting for us in a Republican primary, but who 
are looking for change, who are looking for an alternative option, who do want to see prosperity and recognize that they're not feeling it or seeing it in their lives. Uh, You mentioned the jobs report, definitely a huge disappointment. The last three months have been the worst three month stretch for job growth since the pandemic hit with an average of just 150,000 new jobs each month since May. Uh, jobs gains, of course, for June and July revised down. Even CNBC's Rick Santelli was talking on the jobs report saying, you know, the deterioration is large. The significantly larger visions make him nervous how much we've slowed over the past, you know, several months. Uh, it's a complete disaster what's going on economically. And you hear Biden touting this wonderful economy and Bidenomics. It's just a complete joke. I mean, 65% of people in this country think that we're headed on the wrong track. 60% of people living paid Paycheck to paycheck, including 73% of millennials. And a lot of millennials voted Democrat last year. They need to wake up and realize what's going on. They need to wake up and start looking, what are the other options? Obviously, they need to vote Republican. Uh, and that's the argument and message that we'll be pushing over the next you know year plus until November. Talking with Madison Gilbert, RNC national spokesperson. We have another debate coming up later this month. Uh, give us a little bit of a of a preview of what that's going to look like. Uh, what the qualifications are. I mean, do you do you think there'll be different people up on the stage? How how will that be determined? Yeah, so we will have different requirements for that debate, which have been released. Again, just like the first debate, candidates will have until 48 hours prior to debate night to qualify. That debate's going to be out at the Ronald Reagan National Library in California, which is a very beautiful place. We're super excited about the location um, and obviously partnering with Fox Business. In order to make the debate stage, what do candidates need to do? Uh, this time, they're going to need to poll at least 3% in two national polls. That's up from the 1% in the last one. Or they have the option of polling 3% in one national poll and 3% in an early state poll from two carve-out states, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina, two of those states. Fundraising, they're up from 40,000 to 50,000 unique donors. So that just shifts a little bit upwards. And then, of course, our third requirement remains in place. You have to sign that candidate pledge. So for any candidate who has not been on the stage and has not signed the pledge, they will have to sign that pledge to get on the stage. And that is that beat Biden pledge. And as far as I've not heard otherwise that Donald Trump has not uh, yet signed that pledge or shown willingness to do so. Is that still true? So as of now, um, again, candidates have until 48 hours. We hope Donald Trump will be there. I've been friends with the president for a long time. I, I'd love to see him on that stage. I know the chairwoman would love to have him, uh, but he does have to sign the pledge like anybody else. And that has not happened yet. And uh, to get on that stage, just like the other candidates, uh, he'll have to do that. I am I am really glad that the RNC is holding Donald Trump to the same standards as everyone else, because, in fact, um, and it's less about Donald Trump's policies or demeanor or anything else. More and more Americans are very, very lividly upset at the uneven hand of justice when you compare what's happening with the prosecution, multiple prosecutions of Donald Trump and the absolute negligence, legal malpractice that's gone on from the DOJ in terms of the Biden influence peddling scandal that is clearly, clearly a threat to our democracy. And um, so I'm glad you guys are, you know, uh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, even if his name is Donald Trump. That's that speaks to the integrity of the Republican National Committee. And that's a good thing. Absolutely. And we appreciate that. I mean, our job is to put on a fair and transparent primary process for our candidates, for our voters. And that's what the focus has been on. And that's what I feel like we're doing. And I'm very proud of the work that our debate committee uh, run by Dave Bossy has done, you know, what they've done over the past couple of years leading up to this. I mean, people don't realize the work that goes into planning the debates, what goes into, you know, what we have to do as a party. Uh, and I'm very proud of our chairwoman and our committee.
Beautiful. Madison Gilbert, thank you for being with me. If folks want to stay in touch with uh, the Republican National Committee, what's going on in uh, RNC land, best ways to do that? Thanks for having me this morning. People can follow us on social media at GOP. They can go to our website uh, and sign up for emails as well. And, of course, I have posts on my pages as well, so they can always follow me at Madison Auto. All right. That's very good. Madison Jessiato, beautiful name, beautiful visit with you today. And I hope that you will uh, hope that you'll stay with us. And maybe you or other representatives of the party will be with us, uh, you know, from time to time as the season goes on. Absolutely. Hopefully in person at some point this cycle. Hey, I'd love to see you. We'll uh, yeah, stop by. We'll have a cup of coffee. Thanks very much. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Thank you. You too. All right. There she is. Madison Jessiato. And you can uh, stay in touch with her at, uh, at uh, on the Twitter as well. And, of course, at GOP. All right. Uh, so when we come back, we're going to be talking with uh, someone that's got an issue to uh, pick, a bone to pick with the uh, massive new vaccine for all mandate from Joe Biden. I, as a physician, am a little concerned about the one size fits all still. That's just me in a general way. I would never prescribe anything for you or your children. But we'll see what she has to say. Her name is Leslie Manukian, and we'll talk with her. When we come back and wrap up the program here on News Talk 1019-941, The Tobler Show. Well, welcome back to the program as we wrap up on this Labor Day weekend. Looking forward to this discussion with uh, Leslie. Is it Manukian? Leslie, I want to make sure I got it right. Um, you broke up, but it's Manukian. Yes. I got it right. Good. President and founder of Health Freedom Defense Fund. Boy, do we need some freedom, not only in the health, but the education and so many different realms. But uh, looking forward to this discussion because I, as a uh, um, a doc, really want to have folks have as much health care freedom as they have. And I know you fight for that uh, all the time. So uh, Joe Biden's coming out with a uh, with the recommendation, his his administration for, you know, across the board, um, you know, COVID boosters at this point. Uh, your thoughts on that? I know that you're, uh, you know, you're having some problems with it. <laughs> well, first, um, thank you so much for having on me, me on the show. And I have to say your point about medical freedom and educational freedom. Listen, if we don't have the freedom to decide how we keep ourselves well and what we put in our bodies, we don't have any other freedoms, right? It's the most basic, most fundamental and essential of all our all of our freedoms and that's why we do what we do at health freedom defense fund now with respect to what's going on with biden i mean this is just lunacy the booster that they approved last year last fall had zero human data to back it up it was studied in eight mice this new booster that he says he's already you know he's he wants um, a bunch of money, I forget how much money is asked, maybe a billion and a half dollars or something like that from Congress for this um, for this new shot. No human data either. And we know that there's a, a slew of research showing that kids who get these shots, they have potentially permanently impaired immune systems. We know that young people are far more likely to get um, myocarditis after the shots than they are from an infection. We know that these co- these shots cause um, clotting and um, heart conditions in older people. Um, there's just there's no dispute about any of this. Why is this continuing? Why is it that if this happened 
with an, you know, an airbag in a car that the product would be pulled off the market within two or three injuries or deaths. And yet this is now in the tens of thousands of reported deaths and millions of reported injuries and millions of Americans have debility, you know, some kind of a um, disability after this. This is this is clearly political and not medical. I will I will tell you in full transparency here, um, I I can still imagine circumstances wherein if I was convinced that an up-to-date vaccine that matched with the, um, you know, with the uh, then prevalent virus, that was, in fact, a, uh, a threat to certain populations, um, you know, certain super high-risk populations, I can imagine that I would make the rep- representation to my patients that, hey, you know, we need to have this a serious risk uh you know, benefit calculation here, because I think there could I could imagine that scenario. I'm not sure I see it right now in what I know about the circulating, uh, you know, uh, strain, because they seem to as most viruses, they tend to get, uh, you know, less and less virulent. And they tend to, uh, you know, even though they may be more, quote, transmissible. But there's no doubt about it that I think these things are really just the one size fits all with limited data. It's, it's fascinating how the government just flies these things through with all these assumptions that are made on the one hand, and yet people can't use off-label things that they may want to use in consultation with their doctor. Those things don't comport. It's hypocritical, is it not? It is completely hypocritical, Randy. It's, it really beggars belief. How can they say that you can't use ivermectin um, because it's not FDA approved for this use, as you're mentioning, you know, off label. <laughs> and yet they can force through uh, this medication, an experimental medication that hasn't been proven safe or effective. And that we now know elicits serious adverse events in one in 556 doses, according to a study published last year in the journal Vaccine. This is the, the you know, peak of hypocrisy. It's lunacy. It's lunacy. Yeah. And then, I mean, they say that now, you know, oh, well, this is going to um, address what's going on, um, what's going on now. The new shot, they say, we think it will work <laughs> and we think it will address the new <laughs> variants. That's what they say. We think it'll work. We're going to yeah. get a new vaccine that yeah. will work. That's what he said. <laughs> and yeah. here's yeah. the thing. The variants um, uh, are already shifting and um Supposedly, there are new variants in several places in the United States and abroad that are already different from this new formulation. You know, listen, this is kind of what happens, I think, when you try and and fight nature. And there have been many um, experts far more uh, knowledgeable and experienced than I am in these situations than who, who have said that you it is lunacy to be vaccinating in the middle of a crisis. And so, you know, you really have to wonder what this is truly about. Is it really truly about our health or is it about something else? And the fact that kids don't need it and they've basically pushed kids to get it. You know, we have to bear in mind, Randy, that as soon as a vaccine makes it onto the CDC's recommended schedule for children, that vaccine has liability protection for the manufacturers in perpetuity. Okay. The National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986 says that any shots that are on the recommended schedule have no liability, financial or legal, for the makers. So I believe this is really the push to get things on to the on the children's um, schedule. And if they're going to push these, this on kids for financial reasons, then you've got to actually be skeptical at anything and everything that they say and do. Because if they're willing to sacrifice your children for this, 
they're willing to do anything. And that's a terrifying proposition that we all need to really take to heart. Talking with Leslie Manukian, who is a, uh, 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 on your bio, it says about Leslie on lesliemanukian.com, homeopath, nutrition, and well-being junkie, and you're on the board of the Weston Price Foundation. My wife, when she was doing her holistic nutrition PhD, uh, really delved deeply into Weston Price's work, and it's too, we don't have enough time to go into that, but uh, kudos to you. He did a lot of a lot of groundbreaking work in what in terms of truly supporting our bodies with what our bodies are designed to need to have maximum optimal health. I mean, to just try to summarize it. So really very, very good, very good stuff. Wouldn't it be a wonderful world, Leslie, if the government would focus on de-emphasizing USDA policy that promotes obesity through row crops? And boy, my agricultural friends are going to get me in trouble here. Row crops that are really pro-inflammatory, pro-diabetes, right? All the incentives and maybe focused on more affordable cruciferous vegetables and affordable healthy foods and ways to fix them, right? Um, rather than, you know, sort of big ag driven things. I think that would be fascinating. Therefore, we would have healthier immune systems so that we could combat whatever, at least at some base level, combat mostly successfully whatever threats coming our way. Wouldn't that be a novel approach? Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, so it's, it's very interesting. In the midst of all this, they're telling people to, you can't go surfing, you can't be on the beach, and you can't get <laughs> sunshine and fresh air. And sunshine, you know, prompts the body to produce vitamin D naturally in the body, which is one of our most potent immune enhancers, okay? So don't do that. Instead, take this experimental shot that we think is safe and effective, right? But don't do not do that, don't eat food. I mean, Dr. David Brownstein, who I know, um, he was you know, treating people holistically and having tremendous success. And the um, Federal Trade Commission made him take down all of the documentation he had about vitamin C and nutrition and other things that he was using in order to keep people well. And they said they would shut him down completely if he didn't take it down from his block. This is clearly not about our health and well-being. It's about politics. And what you point out about food is just, it's one of my big bugaboos. I, I have a 20-year-old and I'm constantly telling him about you know eating properly, which is very hard when you're a college kid. But if you look at our country, who are the most susceptible to this supposed you know, crisis. It was people in the inner cities. Inner cities are fresh food wastelands. Yeah. They have, that's where all the GMOs are. That's where all the industrial oils are. And what do I mean by industrial oils? Cottonseed oil, soybean oil, canola oil, yep. corn oil, all the fried food, all fried in these fake oils that didn't exist more than 120 years ago. Um, it's all processed food. There are very few vegetables. There's no, you know, all the animals are fed corn and soy. The meat from the animals are, you know, it's, it's from corn and soy fed animals. Those animals are not supposed to eat corn and soy. That is not their native diet. And so people who live in those places are well fed and nutritionally deficient, which is the reason why they are susceptible to all manner of problems. The, the World Health Organization administers vitamin A drops when it gives when it gives the MMR vaccination, measles, mumps, and rubella vaccination. Why? Because it has been well known for more than 100 years that vitamin A is also a potent immune enhancer, and that if you if a child is not deficient in vitamin A, they will not have complications from the measles. So they administer vitamin A drops with the shots. 
why do we, you know, why do we pretend that our bodies are like um, some machine that you can put anything into? It's just crazy. Um, <laughs> it's happen. so upside Can't down. Happen. And then the sugar and well, the soda right. and all the, you know, well, liquid, liquid sugar well, drinks we, and stuff yet. You're, you're, you're so right. You're so right. And we're out of time, but I wish we could speak more, but we'll have to speak again. Folks can follow you at Leslie Manukian on Twitter and, of course, LeslieManukian.com and then the Health Freedom Defense Fund. That website is HealthFreedomDefense.org. Leslie, I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Have a great Labor Day weekend. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Guys, that'll wrap it up. We went a little bit long, but um, a lot of what she says is true. We've got to support our bodies to be the best immune defensors they can be. That'll wrap it up. Have a fabulous Labor Day weekend. Be safe on the roads and on the rivers and streams and lakes, okay? We'll see you next Saturday, God willing. Have a great week.